Can you guess what day it is today? <laughs> it's Tuesday. Can you guess what day I post? <laughs> Wednesdays. Now, the thing is, I did not delay it for this long because I'm a procrastinator, although that's definitely a factor. I was just waiting for my brothers to be at school, so I was going to post, or sorry, I was going to record on Monday. Um, but then, for some unknown goddamn reason, my youngest brother did not have school. He had a PD day. And I'm just thinking, mm, who the fuck gives a PD day two weeks into school starting? Like, it's beyond me. Um, but then I was like, okay, fine, I will record on Tuesday. The house will be quiet. There will be no one rummaging around, walking around, slamming doors, stomping up and down the stairs. Um, lo and behold, my other brother now has a migraine. So he's at home. Um, and I just want to say, you know what? We just got to roll with the punches. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of Venting Sesh. I'm your host, Amhani Seeger. Thank you for tuning in. It has been a hot fucking minute. And let me tell you, a lot has happened. I'm no longer in school, and along with the occasional existential crisis and disassociation after looking in the mirror for too long, I also have a lot of adult responsibilities now. <laughs> like job applications and interviews and responding to emails. I don't think anyone tells you just how much time goes into writing an email and the sheer volume of emails you receive that you have to respond to. And I like to think that I'm a responsible person who has her shit together. But that's a delusion. The reality is, I procrastinate. A lot. Which is evident if you look at the dates between my last post and this one. It's obviously because I get really overwhelmed and I just short circuit and put off work for long periods of time. So you'd think to solve my overwhelmption <laughs> that I would stop taking on more jobs and responsibilities, but you would be wrong. Because as we've already established, I hate myself and I love to suffer. Suffer, suffer, suffer. I'm not gonna lie, I genuinely considered just not coming back. Like, forget social justice and just focus on my career because this whole podcast thing even though it doesn't seem like much actually takes a lot of time and mental energy and i told myself before starting venting sesh that if it ever felt like a burden or was a source of stress i'd stop doing it of course i was hoping that my motivation would last at least a year of consistent uploads but alas here i am my second month of not posting later it's okay though I'm trying to be kinder to myself about this sort of thing, and now I feel a lot more motivation to post, which is the whole point of a hobby, right? One thing I did struggle with, though, was deciding what to talk about. I usually try to focus on issues that aren't getting much coverage, or issues that were in the spotlight but aren't anymore, or issues that are linked to the celebrations or holidays of the time, but I just could not think of anything. Not that there's a shortage of social justice infractions, but I just wasn't in the mood to talk about any of them. If you follow me on Instagram, at Venting Sesh Podcast, you'd know that I've been all up on the social meds, dreading human life and existence because of all the shit we put each other through. And all the shit we put this planet through. But I think I'm ready to talk about one of those things. And it's the latter! Today, 
we're tackling environmental injustice. Now, the business side of me says that a discussion on the climate crisis would probably be most appropriate in April, the month of Earth Day, but the individualist in me says that this is my podcast, and I talk about what I want, when I want. So let's get into our impending doom. I want to preface this episode by saying that the climate crisis (laughs) really sends me into an orbit. Like, I just get all of this anxiety about the future of the earth, and sometimes my anxiety gets real bad because the future yabba-dabba do be looking bleak. And being the catastrophizer that I am, I immediately jump to the worst case scenarios in an effort to mentally prepare myself as if I'm some sort of psychic that can predict with certainty what the future will hold. But here are a couple of outcomes I've come up with. Number one, the Earth's overall temperature skyrockets by a couple degrees in the next decades, and the world becomes so unlivable that we have to send the remaining humans to Mars to commence a new civilization under the rule of Elon Musk, to whom we'll be indebted for life. Because who the fuck can afford a space trip to Mars in today's economy? Bitch, let me buy a one-bedroom shoebox in the GTA first. Another potential outcome is that the new conditions will wipe out most of the world's population, except a select few resilient people who will reproduce and create a genetically advanced class of humans that can withstand the new world. Like a bunch of humanoid roach creatures. Which... Now that I say it out loud, sounds very much like the synopsis of an up-and-coming YA dystopian novel. I've mulled these possibilities over in my head, and they just don't seem too bad to me anymore. Besides the fact that the world, as we know it, would cease to exist. But, you know, I'm just an anxious nihilist, and for the sake of my own sanity, I've convinced myself that this is fine. I'm okay with the events that are unfolding currently. In case it wasn't obvious by my dog on fire meme reference, things are not actually fine. And my fears regarding our lack of eco-consciousness and sustainable practices go way back to four score and several years ago when I was in middle school and desperately wanted to become an environmentalist. I think it all started when my 8th grade English teacher showed us a speech by Severin Suzuki at the Rio summit when she was just 13 years old, and I wanted to be her. If vision boards were a thing back then, a blown up picture of a young Suzuki would be front and center. I wanted to go out and preach for environmental justice and speak at podiums and go to protests and lobby against pipelines and non-renewable energy subsidies. Of course, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. But the vision was there. I even used to sign petitions for organizations like Greenpeace and put down the number for a landline so they would occasionally call and be like, thanks for signing our petition, would you like to hear about our new initiative? Every Earth Day, I'd also command my family to turn off all the lights for one hour straight, and I would lecture them about the importance of conserving energy, as if that's something my immigrant parents were unaware of. I was basically Leonardo DiCaprio with my efforts to single-handedly save the world. On another note, I've always wondered why my man's Leo is so invested in the fate of the Earth. Like, 
Surely he's rich enough to not care. And I would think that playing a character that died at the hands of a glacier during the formative years of your career would make you less inclined to prevent those bitches from melting. But hey, he didn't win an Oscar for that performance. So maybe he didn't really internalize the plight of the victims of the Titanic. Is that what happened, Leo? Do you not care about the real people who are killed by a vicious glacier attack? Do you not empathize with their families? I do, and I believe we should end Glaciers 2021, which is why I'm running for president of the new world. <laughs> this message was brought to you by the Elon Musk Mars Foundation. Back to my dreams of becoming the next Severin DiCaprio. Like most childhood dreams, over time, I recognized the instability and obscurity of occupations in environmentalism, and I just wasn't into it enough to spend thousands of dollars on an environmental sciences degree. Plus, I don't like science like that. It's fun to learn about on a surface level, like I did for this episode, not so much on a four-year university curriculum level. But I'll tell you what, girly, I'm gonna give you a crash course today, and I'll talk about how we can all fulfill 12-year-old Omhani's dream of conserving the planet. Most of the videos I've watched and articles I've read for the purposes of this episode started off by discussing the Paris Agreement of 2015. The goal of the treaty was to limit the increase of the globe's temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And yes, that's Celsius. If there are any Americans listening, shut the fuck up with your Fahrenheit. Are you operating an oven? Like, nobody uses that shit and I will never understand what y'all are saying with your 80 degrees. I digress. <laughs> to put things into a little perspective, Miss Earth's temperature has already increased 1.1 degrees, which means that we have to cut current emissions in half by 2030 and slowly work our way to a net zero by 2050 so as to prevent further damage. But what do I mean by emissions? What exactly are we emitting? The answer is greenhouse gases, babes particularly three bad bitches called nitrous oxide, methane, and the leader of the pack, Chanel Number no. 1, Regina George, the Beyonce, if you will. Carbon dioxide. She's mean. She's not green. She's a killing machine. But where is she from? If you recall from your social studies classes back in elementary school, Carbon is released into the atmosphere when fossil fuels are burned to produce energy. There are certainly other contributors to the rise in atmospheric carbon dioxide, like agriculture, certain industrial processes, and mouth breathers, but energy is the leading cause, taking up 73% of the pie. So leave the mouth breathers alone. Some people can't help that they have deviated septums and just can't breathe like a normal person. Speaking of mouth breathers, another thing you may recall from your early education is that greenhouse gases float up into our atmosphere and trap heat. So it's not like carbon dioxide being released is in and of itself a bad thing. It's the fact that it floats to the sky, like Georgie from it, and gets stuck in the Earth's gravitational pull. Gravity. The quicker stucker downer. If you didn't recognize, that was a play on the bounty ad but I realize it was not the best delivery. So let me try again. Gravity, always fucking shit up. <laughs> 
that actually reminds me of when I was a kid and learned about the discovery of gravity by my boy Ishaq Newton. And I was very much pressed, very much about to throw hands at a dead man because I was so mad that he had to go ahead and ruin all of our fun by coming up with gravity. <laughs> like, my small, smooth brain thought that if it weren't for Mr. Newton, we'd all be bouncing up and down and floating around. Of course, as wrinkles began forming on the old noggin, I began to realize that much like correlation does not equal causation, discovery does not equal invention. Isaac did a lot, sure, but he's not God, so yeah. Back to our favorite gases. GHGs often get a bad rep, but they're actually necessary for our existence. We all know that the sun is the Earth's main source of heat and light, just like I am the main source of my parents' pride and joy. But it's not like the Earth is a bun in an oven that evenly bakes throughout the year. Heck, we don't even get sun all hours of the day in most places because of two cute things called rotation and revolution. And I'm not talking about the dance dance variety. Bad joke. Um, anyways, because nighttime and winter are things that exist, the Earth needs a way to reserve heat from the sun when we do have access to it so that we have it when we don't. No warmth means no life. Unfortunately, we've overshot a little bit after the Industrial Revolution of the 1800s, and now there are too many gugs in the atmosphere. Enter the climate crisis. Now that I've successfully extended my runtime by explaining basic astronomy to high schoolers and 20-somethings, I'll move on to how the climate crisis is a racist, xenophobic, classist biatch. A popular tagline in discussions of environmental injustices is that those who are least responsible for causing climate change are the ones suffering most from its effects. Sure, it's hard to pinpoint who is responsible for the most emissions since we can look at the issue from different perspectives. China, the US, and the European Union are responsible for over 50% of global emissions currently as well as historically. But we have to remember that these countries happen to have more people, which means more need for food, clothing, utilities and appliances, and thus more emissions. So instead, we can look at emissions per capita, in which case the world's leading producers of oil take the proverbial cake. Qatar leads the pack, followed by Trinidad and Tobago and Kuwait. But one thing's clear. Whichever way you look at the issue, the most affluent and influential countries are the leading emitters of CO2. But who carries the brunt of the negative impacts? the less wealthy, developing countries that still rely heavily on agriculture to produce food and jobs. Heck, the countries that have actually done the most by way of meeting the Paris Agreement are the Gambia and my motherland. And although the national pride jumped out when I heard that, the whole situation is just ridiculous to me. That's like having a rich kid throw his cheesy, saucy pasta dinner all over his stepmom's plush white carpet and instead of using the ample resources he has access to to clean up his shit, like his $1,000 vacuum or an expensive carpet cleaning service, he calls some random poor kid in to get on her knees and start scrubbing the stains with a toothbrush and some dish soap. It's just absurd. 
But it doesn't stop there, because while the spawn of Satan is tossing his perfectly good pasta around, the poor girl who got called in to clean the mess actually hasn't eaten in days. But before I get lost in my analogy, let's segue into the facts. The Climate and Food Vulnerability Index found that, quote, 10 of the most food insecure countries in the world generate 0.08% of total global CO2. I mentioned food insecurity because it's one of the primary injustices that result from climate change. This is especially the case in the global south because their reliance on small-scale agriculture means that they are more vulnerable to droughts, flooding, and extreme weather, according to an IPCC report. Another concern which arises with the increase of food insecurity is the threat to international peace and security. Quote, the effects of climate change heighten competition for resources such as land, food, and water, fueling socioeconomic tensions and, increasingly often, leading to mass displacement." End quote. Climate change basically acts as a draw-to-uno card that just keeps piling up until one unlucky soul is left to pick up 20 cards. The unlucky souls in this case being Africa, Latin America, and South Asia who are currently facing political unrest and violence in some areas, as well as the threat of forced migration within their regions by 2050. If you've listened up to this point, I'm assuming that you are concerned about the increasing toastiness factor of this little rock in space, <laughs> or at the very least, agree that it's a problem. Just maybe not your problem. I know you've probably got a lot on your plate, and not everyone can be an erotic, ruminating, obsessive person like me. But not to worry, I'm sure I have enough anxiety for the both of us. My point <laughs> is that you're probably not the target demographic for what I'm about to cover next. But on the off chance that you are a well-meaning, good-intentioned, climate change denier, this one's for you, babe. Whereas I look to overthinking and pessimism to cope with the end of the world, some people are just in straight-up denial. And I gotta say, I'm very jealous. Like, teach me your ways, sensei, because your skin must be so clear and your mind must be so well-rested in that delusion that you're living in. Like, can I get an invite? <laughs> Facetiousness aside, I do want to address some other possibilities for why it's getting what's all up in this beach. Number one, if Earth get hot, obviously sun big culprit. Duh, maybe sun get more hot. Sorry, the reason why that's not the case is that the sun actually has been pretty stable for the last few decades in terms of energy emittance whereas the Earth has been getting increasingly warm during that time. Like me, when I'm introducing myself to a new group of people over Zoom. So, <laughs> no bueno. Number two, the Earth warms up as a part of a cycle. Haven't you watched Ice Age? First of all, only in bits and pieces during free periods at school. If you told me that I have to recount the plot of a single movie from the IACU, that is, the Ice Age cinematic universe, to save my family's life? I guess we're gonna have a few funerals to get through. Um, second of all, you're not wrong. 
The Earth certainly does go through glacial and interglacial periods every 100,000 years because of the changes in the Earth's tilt. When it's tilted closer to the sun, it's hotter, and when it's farther away, it's colder. Obvi. Currently, we're in an interglacial period, which is supposed to be warmer. The water age, if you will. However, the Earth reached its maximum tilt 10,000 years ago, which just means that it was closest to the sun during that time. So we should actually be getting marginally cooler as the Earth painstakingly slowly tilts away from Le Soleil in preparation for the next glacial period tens of thousands of years from now. Furthermore, although it should be warm right now, it's getting hotter 10 times faster than it did during previous interglacial periods. Number three, carbon dioxide could come from anywhere. Who's to say we're the ones doing it? You drive a hard bargain, sir. I'll tell you what, there are scientists out there who do nothing but measure shit. It's why we have access to information from even before humans came down to Earth to suffer a doomed existence. One of the things our troops in science measure is the amount of carbon-14 in the atmosphere. Carbon-14 is to carbon what the Delta variant is to COVID. It's the ugly stepsister. Now, I'm no chemist, but my understanding is that carbon-14 is carbon, but with a little bit of spice in the form of cosmic rays that emanate from stuff in space. Carbon can only get zapped by the rays if it's out in the open, but if you'll remember, fossil fuels, which are the things that are burned to produce carbon, are buried deep underground for years, which means that, much like a priest, they get none. So when we burn them, the carbon that's released is not carbon-14. And levels of carbon-14 have actually been steadily declining over time. Now, there's a lot more information, and everything I just said is better articulated with visual aids on Up Is Not Jump's video, Climate Change is an Absolute Nightmare, which will be linked in the sources for this episode. In conclusion, I hate to burst your bubble, but we definitely have something to do with all this. And so, we definitely have to do something about it. But Omhani, what can I do about it? Now, the first thing we gotta do is vote. It's funny, because Canada just had its federal election on Monday, and I was hoping to post this before then. But if you'll rewind to the very beginning of this episode, you'll hear about how me and procrastination are joined at the hip. So here I am, a couple days too late. It's okay though, I don't get a lot of listeners right on release days anyways. Most of y'all love to come around a week later, which makes sense. I mean, not everyone has 20 minutes of free time on a Wednesday to listen to the ramblings of a crazy person. Another thing is that some of my listeners can't even vote yet. I've said this before and I'll say it again. We need to lower voting ages because this 18 plus arrangement is silly. Teenagers have opinions too, and they're carrying the brunt of the responsibility of environmental justice. They should definitely have a say in the laws that are going to affect them and their future children, and so on and so forth. 
Just because they're children doesn't mean they don't deserve autonomy and a chance to voice their concerns. So vote for me, Amhanim Sugar, as your next president, because it's about time for a children's suffrage movement. This message was brought to you by the Children's Voting Coalition. <laughs> Back to the issue at hand. What should we encourage and call for our leaders to change? What can our politicians do, besides lie through their teeth? There are two main ways to go about reducing emissions. The first is carbon pricing. This includes things like carbon tax, cap and trade, and carbon coin, which is a fairly new solution I'd never heard of. Essentially, carbon pricing is a means of incentivizing the reduction of emissions for the industries that emit a lot of carbon. This is done by taxing the import and export of fossil fuels, which we've already established are the leading producers of carbon, and enforcing limits and permits for the total amount of carbon that is allowed to be released by a company. Carbon coin works in reverse, though, by actually subsidizing more renewable energy options, basically paying companies to stop using fossil fuels. The next approach involves changing standards, which aim to delegalize the use of fossil fuels in the future, investing in decarbonization, like using those subsidies I mentioned before, and ensuring justice for those who are more heavily impacted by the changing climate. But these are all wide-scale, macro-level solutions. I asked for what I can do about the climate crisis, and I sure as hell can't go around taxing companies and asking them respectfully to stop fucking with our atmosphere. And that's very true, my concerned listener. Although the sass was not necessary, I never said that you had to enforce the regulations, just that you have to vote for people who will. But I digress. Here's what you can do on a more personal level to help the environment. Since energy is a main contributor to the creation of this hellscape, energy efficiency is the solution. If we invest in more energy-efficient items, we reduce the intensity of the energy used to operate machines in our homes and workplaces, thereby reducing emissions. Furthermore, we end up saving ourselves money in the process. Now, this can lead to some rebound effects, like using more of something because of its increased efficiency, or spending the money saved because of energy efficiency on things that require energy, both of which render our efforts futile. So I'm warning you about them, so you can try to avoid them. Another thing you can do is reduce your spending habits, particularly for food and clothing. Meat and textile industries require a lot of energy, and the more sustainably and mindfully we shop, the less demand there will be on said industries. So buy higher quality clothing that will last you longer. If that's not something you can afford, go to a thrift store. You'll be amazed by how many great quality things you can find for far lower prices. Although gentrification of thrift stores is a real problem. And I would know because I thrifted before it was cool. But that's another issue. In terms of eating, try to incorporate more foods and foods. Well, I think that's the point of eating. <laughs> In terms of eating, try to incorporate more fruits and veggies into your diet, and shop for locally sourced in-season foods. Maybe try going vegetarian for like one day a week, or one week a month. Maybe become a vegetarian or vegan. I mean, if you want. I won't be partaking in those festivities because I love me some chicken. 
But if you can stop, power to you. In terms of personal hygiene, try to avoid using disposable things like razors, pads and tampons, and makeup wipes. I know this isn't always feasible, but some alternatives to the aforementioned include sugar wax, which you can make at home, reusable pads or diva cups, and micellar water with reusable bamboo face pads. Now I know I got increasingly radical as I went on, and I will admit that I find myself having a hard time implementing all of these suggestions. But we have to be strict and rigid with our consumption if we want to meet the Paris Accord goals and reduce the already irreversible damage that we're doing on this planet. Plus, all the solutions I mentioned are not only good for the environment, but also very financially sound decisions. So look out for the Earth and save yourself some coins for your trip to Mars. <laughs> Just kidding. I hope. If you found this episode in any way helpful, please consider sharing it with a friend. I just want to reach as many people as I possibly can so I can make the most impact. I'm signing off this session, but before I leave, I'd just like to remind you, the things will get better, as long as we do something about it. So, stay optimistic. Just don't be complicit. Until next time! <laughs>